Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to our very final week in our series, Connect Here. Uh, throughout this series, we've been looking at really who we are as a church family. We began it all with uh, just a brief look at where your part is in the church family, the fact that you are extremely valuable, and I encouraged you to find church wherever that might be that you can connect to and become part of the family. There's not a perfect church. We're not perfect people. And so we looked at that very first onset, and then we surrounded that with the reality of what is the four pillars of the church. The church is the most important organization in the world. That was week one. We talked about the importance of being a part of our community, that we are really about our friends and families in the community where God has put us in. We are to be the church of the community. And then we looked at the importance of reaching the families. The family is the, the core of any community. And then how do we develop people? How do we multiply both our church and the people within it? And so we had those as the four pillars of the church. It all surrounds the fact that it's about Jesus, right? It's about our part playing in the grand story of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ who made it all possible. And then over the last four weeks, we looked at kind of the, the family culture of what, what really makes the, the, the bedrock of who we are as a family. What kind of personality or, or characteristics would, would people see in us? Not that we're perfect, but that we're working towards that. In the very first week, we looked at the importance of expectation, that we believe that God wants to meet up with us. We expect him to. And then we looked at generosity. We need to be the most generous group of people on the face of this earth. Why? Because God, we believe that God gave everything that we have. And so out of a love towards him and the creation he's made, we want to willingly give it back. And then last week, we talked about caring. Again, just like generosity, we should be the most caring organization in the world. Why? Because Jesus gave it all. And out of love for him, we give it all back to others. And if all we were here for was to love one person, we'd pour everything we have into that one person. And now this week, took a while to get there, but that's a recap. So if you haven't been with us, go back and listen to those. Maybe that really spark an interest in you. And then come back to this week. This week, we're looking at the very final one, excellence. Now, for some people, they think, man, that, that's a worldly thing. That's something that the business world is concerned about. That, that's really not something that should be a part of the church, right? So many people get very uneasy when it comes to excellence. And part of that is because we'll never be perfect. And so we're not looking for perfection we're working towards progress. We're constantly working to become like Christ. That's exactly what sanctification is all about. Every day, we work towards becoming like Christ. And I believe that should be the exact same way in the church. God is perfect, and we want to do everything for Him to the best of our ability. And so we're going to be looking in just a moment in the book of Daniel in a perfect example of what it means to be perfect or excellent, right? Not that he was perfect, but he was as perfect as he humanly could be. 
But first, our passage that is kind of our foundational text for this family culture of excellence is found in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, where Paul writes to the people gathered in this city, whatever you do, work heartily, like with all you have, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What a powerful reminder of why we're trying to be excellent. Now, part of the reason we have issues with excellence is because pride keep, creeps in, right? Like, that's why we have so many issues with people trying to, to create the, a perfect little church in a perfect little world. It's not reality. And really, when we focus in that mentality, it's all centered on pride. We want to look good to others. We want our church down the road to look at us and say, wow, they got their stuff together, man. I wish we were like them, right? That's a pride thing. We're not trying to have a perfect little church in a perfect little world where no imperfect people can come in. No, we want to do the best we can. Why? Because we want to give it to God with all of our heart. There's a difference between perfection and excellence. Now, I hope you get my heart today that I'm not looking for perfect people where nobody who is struggling can walk into our church. That's not what this is about. And that should not be what any church is about. What we're looking for is to do the, the, the work of God to the best of our ability with all that we have. Not for pride's sake, but for God's glory's sake. We want to make his fame spread across the world. We want to do everything we can with all of our hearts all of our might so that he is glorified where he can be reflected across our community and our world so let's look at the example of daniel found in daniel chapter six now as just a summary if you don't know this this story very well what happened was the nation of israel had fallen away from god he had given them so many opportunities to come back to him and they continuously just kind of said nope not going to do it or maybe they would for a little time when god would kind of correct them as a father does for his kids and like oh we're so sorry we're going to pray and fast and do all the things that you asked us to and they would come back to him but then quickly they would go back to their old ways and finally god is like this is enough I'm sending you into captivity where you're going to be stuck and you're going to come back to your senses and you're going to worship me there. And when you can get your hearts truly back to me, I'll bring you back to the promised land, but you need to learn your lesson. And so that's exactly what happened. Israel, now this is just the one tribe in Israel, that's Judah, was now in captivity. They were underneath the Babylonian rule. But God called them still to live for him and there were some within the community of israel that followed god so beautifully that it got them positions while they were in captivity and so daniel rises up the chain of authority within this culture this secular culture this far away from god as you can get culture and the king propped him up into this beautiful place because he was so excellent in all he did. Because if you follow God with all of your heart, believe it or not, 
the world is actually going to take notice and not necessarily persecute you. Now, there are some who will, but when you do things for God, it's amazing how people will take notice and actually want you to be a part. But, as we will see, there are some who don't, and it got Daniel in trouble. So this is Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm. So this is the 120 elite, right? And over them, three administrators. So out of the 120, there was three who looked over them and managed them, right? Including Daniel. So a foreigner who worshipped a totally different God than, or <laughs> only one God versus all the gods they worshipped, right? He was in captivity. He was a slave. And he's one of the three that's watching over all of the leaders in the land. It's powerful. This is crazy stuff, right? Like this just doesn't happen. A prisoner of war is leading over the leaders of the country. These satraps would be accountable to them so the king would not be defrauded. <laughs> high, high level of authority given to Daniel. Verse 3, Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. A spirit of extraordinary, like excellent, above all excellent. He had risen even above the administrator. So amongst the three, he was the elite of the elites. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. He's going to place him, plop in the middle of the city and say, it's yours. You are the governor of this city. Amazing. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy. And no negligence or corruption was found in him. Like, they were trying to do everything they could to find anything that they could put against him so that he wouldn't be in charge. He could just be one of them. Like, that's all they were wanting. They, the pride was getting the best of them, is what's going on. They looked... And said, this guy is, is given everything. We're jealous. We want the power. We want the money. Right? Pride. Power. Possessions. He had it. They wanted it. So what did they do? Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. <laughs> like, mind-blowing. He was so excellent, I couldn't find anything against him. So they started to think about, how can we set this up where if he follows the law that his God has established, that will get him in trouble. There was the only one way they could set Daniel up, and that's if they forced the king to create a law that would make it illegal for Daniel to worship the one true God. That's the only thing they could figure out to get him in trouble. Now, if you do know 
in the book of Daniel, you'll know that this is almost like a repeat of just a few chapters earlier where I call them the three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not worship the king, right? There was a decree, and they said, nope, we're not going to follow through. We're not going to worship this idol that you've made of yourself. We're not doing it. And what happened? Everybody gets angry, and they throw them into the furnace, and they themselves even get burned up because it's so hot. But yet they come out unscathed. What did they say to the king as they were being thrown in? Listen to this. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, here's the point I want to make before we move on. A life of excellence will not protect you against the evils of this world. I want you to understand that. Because so often we talk about living for God and there's this misunderstanding in the world that if you do the right thing, you will receive a proper reward. That's not always that way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were still thrown into the fiery furnace. As we will read, Daniel is about to get thrown into the dining table of hungry lions doesn't guarantee a perfect life but as i will hopefully unpack for you in the rest of our time it does open the door for allowing god to move and it happened for three amigos and as you'll see it happened for daniel as well but no matter what no matter what things you face don't back down from a life of excellence Never stop pursuing it, even if it doesn't get you the rewards you were hoping for, the promotion or the, the accolades or the, the feeling that I've done something good for our community. Even if everything falls away, just know a life of excellence, of excellence is worth your efforts. And so we read on. They replied to the king. This is verse 13. We're jumping ahead just a little bit for you. Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. Right? They made this law, and again, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it, it was to worship the king or worship a false idol. And he didn't do it. He continued to follow through the three times of praying to his God, a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. His heart was given towards Daniel. He realized he'd messed up. He didn't realize that by signing that letter, it was a death sentence to the one he had placed over all of the land. So verse 15, then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. Once again, a life of excellence. He did no wrong. Like, 
I don't know anybody as perfect as Daniel. He did everything. He crossed every T, dotted every I. He was perfect. And yet still, there was nothing that could be done. And so after a sleepless night where the king could not sleep, he woke up and he ran to the door and he screamed out, Daniel, you're still alive. And when he heard his voice, he gathered him up, threw those perpetrators that threw him into the, the, the lion's den to begin with. He threw them in there and before they even landed on the ground, they were ripped up. You see, a life of excellence opens the door for God to do miracles. Didn't mean his life was perfect. That was a long night sitting with the lions around him. But God made a way. And listen to this beautiful final statement by the king. This God of Daniel is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Again, God is in charge. And whether he rescued the three amigos or Daniel or not, it does not remove the fact that he's in charge and he cares and he values the efforts you put forth. Your life, your life of continued excellence makes a difference. Whether you're alive or you pass on, what will be remembered is what you did. How you cared. The life you poured out to others. It's not about the money you made. It's not about the position that you were in whatever organization you're a part of. It doesn't matter how many wards you've won. What will matter is the life of excellence you poured out to others. And so with that, I would like to just close this last few moments with a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. This is a beautiful call both to why we want to be excellent and how to be excellent. It's the why and the how. Right? We've established the reality that excellence makes a difference in this world. A great example that we just read in the book of Daniel. But now, let's take a look at the why and the how. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You have not received mercy. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We'll just pause there for a moment. Why? Why do we want to live an excellent life? Because now we are just like Israel once was. We because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, conquering of sin, his, his obliteration of the effects of what we've done and will do 
until we go to be with the Father. When we've put our faith in him and we have made him the Lord and Savior of our lives, we're going to give him our lives. We are now a royal priesthood. We are, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are one with him. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, this is, this is so beautiful. We have received mercy. We've received grace. We've received love. We've received eternal life. We are now living representatives of Jesus Christ to this world. And because we are one with him and we represent him to this world, we live to the best of our ability to represent him. So listen to what Peter says, therefore. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, right? We are no longer part of this world. We have been removed from it, though we still live here. We are of a different entity. We are eternal beings, one with Christ. He's urging us as citizens of heaven, but still citizens of earth. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Even if they slander you, your good works are still going to bring glory to God. In the end, that is your sole purpose. I know it seems very lowly and almost discouraging in some regards. But your life is to simply live to bring glory to the name of Christ. And we do that by abstaining from sinful desire. Again, it's the, the three P's, right? It's the, the pride. It's the power. It's the possessions. It's the pride. I'm, look at me. Look at all I've done. Look at this. Look at all that I've learned and all I've accomplished in life. It's the possessions. Look at the, the, the beautiful house, the car, the retirement account. Look how I provided for my kids and wife. And though it's never really that ugly per se, it creeps in. We don't respond to people the way we should. He says, get rid of it. Abstain from these sinful desires. They wage war against your soul. That's not who you are. That's not the characteristics that you should have. You are set apart. Don't rely on the worldly things anymore, friends. But instead... It says, be honorable. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. And so instead of allowing pride to rule you, you put others before yourself. You look at ways to be humble and to serve and to care for those who, at one point, maybe you ruled over. But let them call the shots. Let them dictate where the business goes. Take down the pride and serve. 
instead of accumulating possessions, become generous, right? The greatest way to, to kill the, the need for more and to accumulate wealth is to be generous and to realize that the more I give, the more satisfied I am. The more I keep to myself, the more I don't really like it. I'm never satisfied. And then the more we have, the more we have to take care of. And then how about instead of ruling over others and being in this place of power, we turn around and we empower them to become what God has called them to be. Part of the body of Christ. That gives glory to Him and brings as many people into that kingdom as possible. We live honorably. We serve. We're generous. We empower. But if you're anything like me, you realize really quickly that on my own, <laughs> this is impossible. It's in our nature. It's in our human nature. When you look at humanity we go back to the garden of eden and it's in our nature to want to doubt to not trust god to see things in this world and crave after it to want to rule over things when we are to submit to others and god this is not a natural thing and it seems almost impossible because it, society itself tells you to get more, to take care of yourself before you look out for others. It, it tells you to rise up and, and make it your own and do it your own way. The message of Jesus is so contrary. And so how do we do it in this world where everything seems backwards from the way of Jesus? Second Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says it is by His divine power that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. To be humble, to serve, to give away, to empower. It's all of Jesus. He's given it to you goes on and he says, We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. He has given you everything And so I encourage you, how do you start practicing these ways to abstain from sinful desires and to live honorably? How do you do that practically? Because, yeah, I get it. It's by his divine power and it's a gift that he gives. But how do I receive it? I encourage you to practice the ways of Jesus. Get alone with him. Study scripture. Pray. Allow him to speak to you. Get away from the busyness, the craziness. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Turn off your computer. Get alone 
with God. The, the more I'm pressing into the, the spiritual practices of Jesus, of fasting, of solitude, of silence, of scripture reading, of living life in community apart from all the craziness in the world and just shutting it off. You may feel a little FOMO if you're missing out for a while, but the more you can remove yourself from social media, the newspapers, TV, all of this stuff, the more you can remove yourself, the more you find the presence and the power of the Spirit available to help you. You won't feel the stress. You won't feel the anxiety. You won't feel the need to do more and to be everywhere and just overwhelmed. And then here it is. I listen to a message from the pastor. And what does he tell me? I have to do more. I can't do anymore. I know there's so many people listening today who that's exactly you are. It's something that I've been fighting for many years. That's something I'm fighting through right now. I need to constantly say no. Because if I want to live the practices of Jesus, I have to have white space where I can spend time with him. Sometimes that means saying no to really good things that I want to be a part of. But if I want to live as a light for Jesus, if I want to impact this world, if I want to truly work on these areas in my life, that need some refining. I can't just keep going and going and going and expecting them to get better. I need to spend time with Jesus and let him work in me because me, myself, aren't going to fix the things that are broken inside me. I'm doing them because that's my struggle. And I'm just not going to buckle down and try harder. I need to buckle down and let God work in me more because it is by his divine power that I can do this. So my challenge for you this week is to find ways where you can say no and get some white space and spend time with God and see what he'll start doing. He might amaze you and do something right away, but he might just start chiseling away little by little. It won't be easy. Turning off your cell phone, turning off your computer, your, your radio, whatever it is, and just being with God might be the hardest thing you ever do. I want to read a quote to you from Vince Lombardi and then apply it to our thought today and close with prayer. He says, Leaders aren't born, they are made, and like anything else, through hard work. And so I want to rephrase that and say, Excellent Christians or sanctified Christians, growing Christians aren't born, they are made, right? They're not, they're just not made. I want to be very clear. When you come to Jesus, in the eyes of the Father, you are, you are justified, you're a, you are right with him. But on earth, as long as we're here, we're growing, we're processing, we're being sanctified, we're being more like Jesus every day, Right? That's something that's just not made or born. It's something that is created through time and effort. 
it is through years of partnering with the Holy Spirit that we become all God has called us to be in his kingdom. And so today, press into him. Remove some distractions and things that keep you from being able to focus on him and allow his spirit to do a mighty work in you. Father, I thank you for these last nine weeks of going through what it is to be a part of a church family. What does that look like for us? And I pray as we close this down with this, this thought of wanting to become more of what God has for me. God, I pray that as these people are going through their week, that you would speak deeply to them, give them the ability to stay no, and to step out and allow you to work in and through them. Empower them. Give them the strength to do what's right. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise of the Holy Spirit. And we need him. But God, until we open up that door and let him in, and step away from the things in this world. He's just knocking, waiting. Knocking, waiting. May your people open the door to their lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I encourage you, go to nexuschurchnn.com and click on whatever way you want to connect with us. And we would love to connect with you and help you connect with Jesus. We'll see you again.